You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. The big dick on campus. <laughs> Welcome to Pint of Football, the nation's drunkest football podcast, where much like the sport we love, we've had a week off. Unlike the beautiful game, though, we can't pretend it has been doing anything respectful. Some refer to him as Bootle's answer to Trevor Sinclair, but I just call him Andy Baxter. Steady, bloody hell. He's had a bit of a week of it, hasn't he? Christ. And it's a big hello from me, the man who's currently 18,369th in line for the Frine. It's your host, Daz Natson. (laughs) And unfortunately, Tom isn't with us this week as he is taking compassionate leave from Pint of Football. It's uncertain when we'll see him again. The news has really hit him hard, hasn't it? Well, as ever, we, we wish him all the best. And, um, yeah, he knows there's a place here for him when he feels ready to, to carry on. Uh, I've been hearing a lot of rumours that that's the thing. heard that he was in Edinburgh the other night camping out to see the, the, the body. <laughs> Just hanging around the, um, the, the, not parade, that's wrong, that's the procession route. Yeah, he was there. Uh, another another listener wrote in so that they'd seen him in London doing the same thing, camping with his pint of football tent. Yeah, sticking pint of football stickers on the hearse. And then the final rumour I heard was that he even went to an ice hockey match on Sunday just so he could sing the national anthem at a live sporting event this weekend. Such is his dedication to the uh, the king. The cause, the overall cause, I guess. We would have put in a minute silence for him, but we already have way too much filler in this. So <laughs> <laughs> People can just pause it if they want to not hear us for a while. Yeah. Right, here we go then. So now, if you do want to do the minute silence, now is your time to pause it. Immaculately observed. I wonder if, like, if you could, if you were like the announcer at non-league ground, you could announce a 10-minute silence and see how long people actually stick it out for. Yeah. 
I do always think as well that the ref, when they do that, cause it's always on the ref's whistle, isn't it? Mm. I always think that if if the ref can sense, and I've seen it a lot in non-league games, because there's always like volunteers and ex-chairmen dying and all the rest of it. I swear, if they can feel that the crowd are not really behind it after about 20 seconds, he just blows the whistle again. If I go to Western on Saturday, I'll time it. Yeah. <laughs> Do it. Let us know. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we're back for In The Mix, and we are carrying on with our warty goodness. We've we've actually made it to another milestone. We've made it to the end of the 1940s, so pre-World War Two has now been covered. I don't know if it's just because of the eras we're covering at the moment, but the way I've been sort of dissecting the eras is pre-1900s, which is kind of like prehistoric football, pre-World War One, post-World War One, pre-World War Two, and then obviously we'll be going into post-World War Two after. Yeah, and then there's like little milestones along the way because then it becomes sort of heading towards the, the World Cup. Mm. And then... There's probably some other bits after that. I don't know when European competition started, but that must have been like 60s or 70s, wasn't it? I don't know. That's not really what we're about, is it? Uh, well, it's definitely not what Ward is about. So, yeah. So, just to recap, Bex, just so you remember for when we do our summary of the 1940s, the best story of the eras so far, so the, the, I thought I'd go back in, because I'd kind of forgot myself because we've been doing it for so long the best story of each era. So from the prehistoric era, the best story that we decided was the trusted okay. the trusted goalkeeper, which I still maintain is definitely one of the stronger ones, isn't it? There was a lot in that, which is what was good about it, I think. Yeah. Um, considering it was that long ago, we managed to get a lot of detail. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was the same. So they had obviously the special training, which we found out was the trip to Droitwich to bathe in the brine. We had the gambling going on, sort of betting on himself to to keep a clean sheet, but also to concede, which obviously back then just wasn't frowned upon. Yeah, it was fine. He had his pub smashed in after the match, this goalkeeper by the fans who were obviously outraged that he'd thrown the final of the cup. But then the bit I'd actually forgotten until I read back to my notes is he actually scarpered, I think it was Birmingham where he was living, with his maid mm-hmm. and then just turned up playing for someone else. Was it Man City or something the next season? He didn't go f- far enough to make it worthwhile, really. Uh, but, you know, whatever worked. So, yeah, that, that was a real good one. And then the next era, which is the pre-World War One era, the best one was Death of a Referee. And uh, I can't remember how much you remember of that. That was in rural Wales. And that was where, after the match, one of the players basically went and manslaughtered the ref. Yeah, I don't really know how that made it, how that won. It's section it was a bit horrible, that one. <laughs> yeah, I think the, the key highlights were that the wife didn't receive any compensation because it had happened after the whistle had blown. Yeah, and, she'd have got um, a lot if, uh, yeah. if it had happened during the match, wouldn't she? Yeah, yeah. Because as well, you might remember that one of the good things about being a referee in that era was you got your funeral paid for by the FA. God. So, <laughs> I wonder. Yeah, I mean, we asked this at the time, but I do wonder genuinely if that is still in people's clauses as a contract. So, I guess of all the football jobs, it probably is one of the more dangerous roles. 
Do you think it has to you have to die during active service? I don't mean literally on the pitch. I mean mm. while you are still active as a referee. Yeah. No, not even that. Just mean like if one of the current referees were to die now of something unrelated because he is still on the active referees list, they may be mm. entitled to it. Whereas, like, sure, referees get old and retire and then may die of something unrelated. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's like the military where once you've been in it, you always get your military funeral. Yeah, <laughs> it's a bit like the military, the referee in society. You know, referee. Yeah. <laughs> So that, that was the best one of that era, but we decided that one wasn't as good as Trusted Goalkeeper. Then after World War One, we got the current front runner and definite favourite so far, which was Wilfred Minter and his goal scoring feat. Which it's a great title as well. It tells you all you need to know about it. But it genuinely, if you haven't listened to that episode, I couldn't tell you which one it is off the top of my head, but it was around the 1930s or 1920s sort of time. And Wilfred Minter sent Alban's legend, smashing him in left, right and centre. And then a few stories later, he actually featured again playing for some like England amateur international team. So it shows he was the real deal. And then the last period that we just did, we had the Avalanche at Aston, which was, what's the guy's name? Ted Drake. That rings a bell. I was going to say Ted. Yeah, Ted Drake. Yeah, yeah, that was, yeah, George Allison was the manager. He was in hospital with his bollock surgery. <laughs> and then um, his striker wrote to him and he was like, I'm a bit worried because I haven't been scoring. And Allison um, just replied and said, well, start scoring then. Start scoring. I've got, I've got my own stuff going on here. I don't need to worry <laughs> about your problems. And then anyway, he ran on and scored. I swear it's like eight goals in a game, which still is the top flight record. It's a good way to respond, isn't it? Yeah. So despite the fact we are trying to deep into the uh, dig into the deepness of these obscure stories, so far the ones we've enjoyed the most, the, the top two, I would say, have both been about a striker banging a load of goals in, which probably does, in in summary, suggest that football ultimately is always going to be the simple man's sport of scoring goals yeah that's still the best bit isn't it when the yeah. goal goes in yeah even if you're just reading about it from 100 years ago yeah and it's stood the test of time too no matter how much the game has changed that's still the essence of it yeah yeah you're right so anyway 1940s i'm just gonna reel off the most favorite ones of the era and then baxter i'm gonna hand it over to you to um do the honours of deciding which is the best story of the 1940s. So we've got the one which is just called When Two Players Died, which essentially was a potted history of deaths on the football field. There was that guy who fell into a skip. or No, sorry, not a skip. Quarry. Um, a quarry. A skip would have been great. It would have been weird, yeah. Uh, yeah, a guy ran into a quarry. We had um, a guy whose uh, belt punctured his stomach. Crazy. There was <laughs> two guys died of infections, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. There was loads of that sort of stuff going on. But the two guys who actually died on the on the one that were being covered in the story was by electrocution. And, yeah. And there was a question about where 
what what conducted the electric. We we sort of alluded that it might have been the huge metal stems at the ground, but Wardy's suggestion was that it might have been the referee's whistle. Well, in his defence, that was Wardy playing a character where he suspected what people present at the time may have thought. Unless it was Wardy just like not misunderstanding physics and stuff. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I mean, either way, that was a good story because you got you got that potted history of the deaths, and it's something that you don't really consider over the history of football. How many hundreds and hundreds of people have actually died on the pitch playing? Happily, it doesn't happen that often. But um, yeah, you're right. Over the years and all the millions of games over the across the world, you're right. It's so, so that was a good one, for lack of a better word. Um, and then the the other favourite, one of the other two favourites, was the Hinkley Hypnotist, which we covered last time. Which the actual the actual ending was, I would say, the most disappointing ending we've had because this hypnotist they'd hired to come and help them turn their fortunes around at Hinkley. Just didn't turn up, did he? <laughs> no, which we should have seen coming, really. But, yeah, oh well. It was good. Uh, it was good, though. I mean, the humour element, the fact that they got them all in the working men's club before the game to just try and like get the atmosphere going and raising a bit of money. I think they got their record attendance for the season as well because everyone was dying to see what would happen. And then, yeah, just just sacked it off nothing happened <laughs> which is good i did i did enjoy that one and then the one that i think of all of us tom enjoyed probably the most which was the invisible game essentially the first time floodlights were used over here it's a hard one because if you say was that peak football which i suppose is the the bar that we judge things against then no it wasn't because mm. there's nothing specific about that game that stood out other than it being the first with this development. But you're right, it is worth a, a mention in terms of another big step towards the game that we have now. That's very well put. But I'm not asking you to put things well. I'm asking you to make the decision. Do you think that from the 40s, the best moment, the peak moment of this era... I mean, we've already said this is not peak football yet. We haven't got to peak football yet. But it's the peak moment of the, of the era. Is it when two players got electrocuted? <laughs> is it when the hypnotist didn't turn up? <laughs> or is it when floodlights were tried out? Sadly, I think it has to be when two people were electrocuted. That's one I liked as well. I think if the hypnotist had have turned up, and then had to like come up with an excuse why it didn't work. Mm. That would have been it. Yeah, that one did kind of feel like a half story, didn't it? Just it fizzled the... out a bit, which is often the case with these um these these stories in this book, isn't it? But whatever. Yeah. Well, there you have it, folks. If you didn't listen to the last episode, oh no, it wasn't the last one, it was the one before that. Get back and listen to it. When two players died, <laughs> the best bit of nineteen forties football. <laughs> With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. 
It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Moving quickly yeah. on. Yeah, we've got a good one here in terms of, I'm not going to ruin it, but imagine that you have the destiny of your current employers in your hands and also the destiny of your future employers in your hands at the same time. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Um, Got to think it through, haven't you? Because there's, there's ramifications yeah. no matter what. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So the name of this story is The Big Dick on Campus. <laughs> and the reason it's called that, you'll find out in the in the first sentence. Only a man like Big Dick Duckworth, which is a great name. <laughs> we thought the great names had fizzled out, but Dick Duckworth. Dick Duckworth. <laughs> <laughs> Big Dick Duckworth. Yeah. Only a man like Big Dick Duckworth could manage two teams playing in the same game. Okay. I mean, yeah. Fine. It's, it's an interesting one. It's weird how this has come about, so I'm excited to hear. His old club, York City, were playing his new club, Stockport County, and the game coincided with his changeover. This is, I guess, when it was more treated like a normal job. He'd handed his notice in at York, and they were obviously playing against Stockport, who presumably had already fired their last manager. Had he agreed to take over like after that game or something? Or first yeah, yeah I think yeah. so. I, I don't think he kind of like wore a half and half suit with both emblems on and. Stood in the stood exactly at halfway rather than standing in one of the dugouts. Yeah, I really hope he did. Mm. So when you get those um, testimonial matches where you love the player who plays one half for one team and then the other half for the other team, or like Brian Robson in his half suit, half kit. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, that sort of scenario. But Dick Duckworth had an exceptionally long career as a player, manager, and scout. Surfing, serving for more than a dozen football league clubs. His playing career was mainly confined to Division Three North, although he helped Chesterfield to promotion and captained York City when their giant killed two First Division teams and Second Division Coventry City to reach the sixth round of the 1938 FA Cup. Good going, then. Well, yeah. I mean, you can clearly tell this guy's... Been around the block. Yeah. In between the FA Cup success, Duckworth also played for Southport, Chester and Rotherham. Mainly your um, working class northern towns, I guess, is probably the best. I'm surprised Ward didn't say, like, scummy poor northern 
<laughs> rancid pit holes. You can all, all, all already imagine that the that Duckworth was like a sort of no nonsense journeyman, sort of I don't know, maybe a defender or something. Hmm. No, not you knew what you were going to get from him. He was nothing fancy, but you'd always rely on him to be sort of seven out of ten. York City was Duckworth's first managerial job in the football league. He had been there just over two years when he was offered a similar post at Stockport. Andy Beatty, having moved to Huddersfield Town, put that in as though we were meant to go, ooh. Oh, that's where he went. Oh, yeah, Andy Beatty. Oh, yeah, wasn't he gone in, in 1952? The York directors agreed to release Duckworth from his contract on the 22nd of October, which... I don't know if seasons were different back then, but that seems like it's quite an odd time to agree to release someone. You're coming into the crunch Christmas period. Yeah, but I suppose if it's clear that he wants gone, then do it sooner rather than do any more damage where he already is. Maybe they have to pay him some compensation to to, to take him. I don't know. Yeah, you're right. Mm. It does seem an unusual bit of timing. His last game in charge was at home to Stockport County, his new club. That's bad light judgment. They agreed for him to finish on the 22nd of October, the day. Do you know, I wonder if it was a power play. They were hoping that he'd see how bad his new team were and change his mind. Well, that's it. We'll let you go, but not until this date. Mm. Before we actually go into what happened on the match, if you were in that situation... And you're obviously still managing your current team. Bearing in mind the league's halfway through, so every point matters. What are you thinking? Are you going to try and lose your last game so that your new team get the points? Are you going to try and go out with a bang at the current team? It's very, very difficult because also you don't want your current team to injure any of your new team and things like that. But, mm. and you know, I, will it be worried about damaging his legacy and his reputation at York? I assume all the fans will be chanting dick out. <laughs> or oh, dickhead. Or oh, dickhead, indeed. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think as a fan, once the manager or any player has sort of said they want to go, you just think, well, go on then, go, Sodji. I don't want you sort of going through the motions for the last week or two. I just feel like if that was... I mean, if it was now, they'd just be gone anyway within the day, but you think that game, they'd just tell him he's not needed on the day and let the assistant do it. Let him run the training beforehand, whatever, and then on the Friday, if it's a Saturday match, just say, look, we can't risk any foul play or what's it they call it in um in in corporate sort of world uh, conflict of interests yeah put him on gardening leave or something like that that happened on our last day of school when we left secondary school we were meant to finish on the friday and that was our last day of year 11 um and on the thursday afternoon they called us into an assembly and went right yeah that's it you finished you're done <laughs> what it took me ages to realize that was so there was no pranks or whatever that got done on the last day. Oh, makes sense. It makes it perfect sense, yeah. And it's a really good idea because, you know, if you're planning to, I don't know, set the fire alarm off or something like that, mm-hmm. you do it on the last day that you're there. But they totally diffuse that by saying, 
go away, you don't come in. Mm, I mean, it still does leave a little bit of reaction time to do stuff. But what would have been even better is if they'd have phoned you all up when you got home. Yeah. By the way, that was it. And you're like, I still got my PE kit at school. Right, but, yeah. oh, sorry. Yeah, you're dead gone. to us. It's already in the furnace. <laughs> We've already processed your GCSEs. You're not moving on. You won't be back for sixth form, put it that way. Yeah. Anyway, going back to this. The Yorkshire Evening Press described it as a pick want position for Mr. Duckworth. Never heard the word pick want. I imagine it's not pronounced pick want, but yeah, fine. Let's, let's go with it. P-I-Q-U-A-N-T. Yeah, I've, um, I am aware of the word. I just wouldn't have used it in that context. I always thought it meant good rather than bad. I might be wrong. Well, I suppose, yeah, it is a good position for him, isn't it? Mm, I suppose. The cards are all in his hand, I guess. Both, both sets. Yeah, true. They are. Um, there is a company called, well, let's go with pick one because that's you know what we've gone with so far, who seem to make quality mayonnaise, dips, dressing and sauces that are mixed with love and flair. So that's nice. Nice. So if they're listening, you know, get into it. They can be our new sponsor. Yeah, happily send us some stuff. Pick one, mayonnaise. Quality mayonnaise, dips, dressing and sauces that are mixed with love and flair. Pick what you want. Oh, yeah. That week, all the players on the field would come under his control. Despite being third in Division 3 North, York City were having difficulty scoring goals. Supporters writing to the local newspaper were suggesting the usual subtle tactical changes, like swapping the five forwards for those in the reserves. Is that a tactical change? Is that just leaving out your good players? Why would the fans write in to say, put all the reserves on? <laughs> Especially when you're third in the league. Weird. Mm, but apparently that's what they did. Okay. And then this is the description of the man. Dick Duckworth, a big, pipe-smoking, balding man with plenty of presence, wasn't the type to react to pressures from supporters. But in his last week, he did bring in two reserves. Yeah, I, I can sort of picture him. Mm. Like very sort of broad and, yeah. Yeah. I am thinking, he seems like he's a pretty good character. I'm going to have to look him up after this. He might be a contender for our pint of football all-time historic 11. Yes. Which so far contains Willie Folk in net yep. and Wilf the Deal foot front. Yep. So after 70 years, we've only filled two of our starting 11, but we have also got this manager's position vacant. I was going to give it to George Allison and his, his bollock surgery for, mm. for his, his passionate letter, but I, I thought there must be someone better that's around the corner, and I think this could be him. Well, would you have him as a player or, or a manager? Well, see how the rest of it goes, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, that's true. We'll see what his stats are like on Wiki. So who are these two reserves he brought in? Winger, Bobby Warrender, which when I first read it, I thought it said Bobby Wanderer, which would have been a really good name. But not, not quite. Bobby Warrender was introduced for his debut, an 18-year-old Dave Dunmore, who would be centre-forward against Stockport. So we've got the two young lads on. What must Dick Duckworth have thought when he saw York City overwhelm his new team? 
Billy Fenton scored twice and Dave Dunmore added a third. All oh, in the nice. first all in the first half to put York 3-0 up. <laughs> wow. I mean, good that his current team, obviously, with the new guy on his debut, it's good that they're winning and showing that Stockport have made the right decision by hiring him because he's obviously very good. Mm. But equally, is he thinking, oh, Christ, what am I doing joining this shower? Yeah. York won 3-0, deservedly and decisively. Duckworth learned that his new job would be a challenge. Hmm. So we haven't really heard much about Stockport yet. We know that York were third in the table, and obviously they're in the same division because that was a league match. Stockport County, midway in the league table, had plenty of problems. Alf Lithgow, who had followed Andy Beattie to Huddersfield, Again, mention that. <laughs> you know we'll never hear of him again. No, we won't. But anyway, he followed Alf Lithgow, or Alf Lithgow followed him, whichever way around it was, to Huddersfield, and claimed that Stockport were not a happy family and any new manager would have a tough job off the field. Mm. 27 Stockport players refuted this claim by writing an open letter, which seems a bit forced. <laughs> I'm being treated very well. It's one of those, isn't it, where has someone write the letter and just passed it around the dressing room? A bit like when you get someone's like leaving card at work and <laughs> it just gets passed around and everyone's just like, yeah, yeah. And then yeah. you're like, oh, who is it for? Yeah, all the best. <laughs> yeah, all the best. Don't be a stranger. Yeah. So what did this letter say? doesn't sound very something a footballer would even say or write, neither, but it says, we, the undersigned players of Stockport County, resent the untrue statements under that name of Alf Leafgo. To say that the county players are not a happy family off the field is a wicked insinuation. We are unanimous in giving the lie to this. I like the way people used to speak back then. Seems a lot more complex. Yeah, rather than just saying it's not true, they've said, we are giving the lie to this. We are giving the lie to this? Yeah. We're, we're giving this statement the lie rather than saying you're lying. Yeah. I, might, I might start doing that. <laughs> I'm giving it the lie. <laughs> when someone finds in second work, I'm yeah. giving that the lie. Just hang <laughs> up. Be like, what? What does that mean? In contrast to the youthful exuberance of York players like Dunmore, who was soon to attract a £10,000 cheque from Tottenham, which I'm guessing means he got transferred to Spurs for ten grand. The Stockport County first team had an average age of 30. Nice. So basically, he's left a high-flying young team in York, which, in my opinion, is probably one of the top five UK cities, to move to old, mid-table, disgruntled Stockport which is home of the worst pub in the UK I've ever been to, which is called the Pineapple. And the Hat Museum, is that Stockport? Oh, I don't know. I remember. What's so bad about the Pineapple? Put it this way, I went in, and bearing in mind it was it was Macclesfield against Stockport, which was like used to be the, the Cheshire derby. Hmm. Went in this pub called the Pineapple, and the first thing you see in the corridor is just... Broken, presumably broken, washing machines, just various like household appliances. 
And that was the bit where if you're going out for a fag and you don't want to take your glass out, you put your glass on there. Oh, right. Okay. That was the first thing you see. Just loads of like half drunk pints on this broken household unit. And then you walk in, stand at the bar and look at the, 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 the price of the menu. I think it was probably about, let's say, 2017, maybe 2018. So not, not years and years ago, but, you know, a few years ago. And a pint, which it just said pint of beer, yeah. was £1.40. Wow. Which you think, wow, bargain. And then I was like, um, can I have a pint of beer, please? And and I said, um, <laughs> you mind uh, if I <laughs> ask what, what beer it is? And then she slams it down. It's the flattest thing you've ever seen. Slams it down and she just goes, you get what you get. Which I don't even think is a real saying. I think the wow. saying she meant was, <laughs> you get what you pay for. Or you get what you're given. Yeah, one of those, but she just went, you get what you get. Well, yeah, I wasn't disputing that. Not, I, I accept that point, but, you know, what is it that I'm getting? And then I stood there, paid up, like, the, the £2.80 for the two pints, and uh, I took my hoodie off. I was wearing my Macclesfield top. The guy next to me, who must have been a Stockport fan, looked at me, shook his head, necks a full pint, Slams it on the counter and just storms out. Weird. Not even as though he was like going, get out. This is a home fan pub or anything like that. He, That's he what just... I thought you were going to say. He, he slammed his drink down and then went and sort of got up to mm. you and said, you know, come on, let's go. But uh, he just. You know what? Him. Maybe he assumed that was what I was going to do, was follow him out, but I didn't. So maybe he was just stood there for like. Waiting outside for half an hour and then got bored and wandered off. Yeah, maybe that did happen. No, he was quite old. He was quite an old guy. If you want to go to Stockport, you can indeed visit the Hatworks Museum of Hatting. There is also an Avro Heritage Museum, and the picture of that is like it's got a plane, like a military plane on. So they must do some, must have some history with that. And also Robinson's Brewery, so we can go and see probably some nicer beer. You know, Robinson's Brewery. Robinson's, like the squash, spelt the same. I've never heard of that brewery. It's the top attraction on TripAdvisor in Stockport. Wow. Maybe it is just the squash company and they've just gone a bit of a, bit of a side market. Yeah. I mean, we're happy to advertise their products if they want to get in touch as well. That's not, you know... Robinson's Brewery. Get yourself down. All right, let's finish this. Um, Christ, is that not the end? We're nearly there. Okay. We're nearly there. Dick Duckworth never achieved promotion to Stockport in his four years with the club. And his next club, Darlington, was similarly established in Division 3 North. However... In his fourth Football League management job, Duckworth came close to achieving something no one had done and probably will never do. Oh. Any manager who can come within five second division points of taking Scunthorpe United into the Premier League 
as Duckworth did in 1961-62, deserves to manage both teams in more than one game. Fair enough. Whoa, there's no weather in this one. What was the weather like? Well, it, it was, what, York, so oh, it might have been nice. Probably a bit gloomy. Literally, I, that must be the first story where the weather hasn't mentioned once. There's not been many. There's not been many. Maybe Andy Beatty, some sort of oldie-timey way of describing the weather. Oh, yeah, maybe it's like a pea soup fog. Because he said, he said twice that Andy, Andy Beatty had gone to Huddersfield. Maybe that's like a, a code for a storm yeah. passing. Oh, that Andy Beatty the other night. He's <laughs> absolutely Andy Beattying it down. <laughs> Pig football? No. It, it was very football manager-esque. I, did, I, I get what you're saying um, about that. So it wasn't, it wasn't a bad story. So uh, are we moving on to the Andy Baxter machine? Yeah, I thought because it's just the two of us, we could have a quick career path. He's either still going or just retired. I haven't bothered to find that out. Hmm. But, you know, he has got a... a, a um, he was playing in 2022, so he may have packed in at the end of last season. He may not. Who knows? Dare I ask myself? Could check. Yeah, could check. Can't be bothered. Anyway, so this year, his first senior club in 2006 was Manchester City. 2006. So, let's say he was probably born around 1990. Hmm. Is it Bradley Wright Phillips? It is not Bradley Wright Phillips. I think he was still playing until fairly recently, Bradley Wright Phillips. Yeah. Um. Anyway, then this chap went to Chelsea. He to Chelsea, eh? Then he went on loan to Bolton. Uh, is it? I don't. Oh, no, it's not. It's not who I'm thinking. I was thinking of that guy who plays left back for them. Um, no, it's not him. I was thinking it was um, Alonso. No, he didn't start at Man City, did he? No, but he um, he was one of those weird players who went on loan to Bolton years before didn't he, he also, became big. Didn't he also? Didn't he also go to Sunderland? Oh, really, as well? It might be a different Alonso, but I'm sure. He might. Anyway, he's not this one. So after Bolton, um, which was on loan, this guy signed permanently for Liverpool. How is he getting all these good clubs if he's also worthy of playing for Bolton? Yeah, it's a strange one, isn't it? Uh, I suppose it was like around the 2000, early 2010s by this point. So. Yeah. Hmm... I, my mind's a bit frazzled. If I was okay. to have a guess, just because may as well make a guess, which I'm sure is wrong anyway, but I would say Victor Moses. Not Victor Moses. Right kind of ballpark, but not Victor Moses. So after that, he went on loan again, this time to West Brom. Ah, oh, it's uh, Daniel Sturridge. After that, he went to Trabs on Spore and finished at Perth Glory is, of course, Daniel Andre Sturridge. Hey. Well done. Gosh, Zeph. Weird. I do not remember that at all. 
But that, yeah, that was a good one. He did, of course, feature on our substandard quiz last week, didn't he, as well? Yes, he did. So, you know, it, it all fits together nicely. Our regular quiz feature of Daniel Sturridge. Yeah. If you guys, as ever, at home want to get in touch about the quiz, about anything else you want to talk about, you want us to talk about, you can always get to us on our email, which is pintoffootball2015 at gmail.com. We are also on Twitter at POF underscore reviews. And I'm sure Tom would love us to tell everyone that we also have a website <laughs> because he's yeah. insistent on that we have it. Yep. And that is just planetfootball.co.uk. Go on if you, it. If you click on it, it will just take you to this podcast, which if you're listening to this, you will have already found this podcast. But do it. Just click on it. Go on the website. But in the meantime, let's have a joke. Does Sean Connery like herbs? Only partially. There you go. Good night. Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.